0: That's noom.com to sign up for your trial today.
1: Welcome to Hacks and Jacks, a fantasy baseball podcast. I am Joe Galina. Acknowledge me. And as always, I'm joined by my friend Scott Chu. Acknowledge him. How's it going there, Scott?
2: Doing fantastic. Like I said, I'm well rested. As I was saying before the show, I've been falling asleep between like eight and nine p.m. Uh, here, and and it's sort of great. I'm I'm wide awake during the day now. Uh, I'm sleeping great. Like I am ready to be old. I this is my pregame. I am there.
1: But you said you're, you're waking up at four o'clock in the morning, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I got twins on the way. I got to get used to it anyway.
1: Oh, that's great. That's right. Yeah. You got to get ready for that. Those uh, early morning and midnight uh, feedings there. Right. So that'll keep yeah, you there's, busy. There's
2: no getting ready. There's just surviving. <laughs>
1: yes. Yes. It's it's all good. It's all fun. Congratulations again. So, uh, hey, last weekend you were at the uh, first pitch over in Arizona. So uh, Yeah, I was.
2: It, I mean, it's it's always a great time. You get to see a lot of I mean, it's basically a bunch of people who like fantasy baseball, right? We all get together in Arizona. We go and watch some of the Arizona Fall League. We talk about fantasy baseball. And then we, uh, in our free time, get, you know, have our adult beverages or not, you know, whatever you like, and then continue to hang out and just talk with people that have a similar interest, right? It's not all just baseball. It's getting to know other people in the industry, other people who play a lot, right? It's just, it's a lot of fun. You know, we play you know, you play poker and you can get your butt kicked by Jeff Zimmerman, or you can go, uh, you can go listen to uh, Paul Spore and Justin Mason get heckled by Nick Pollock <laughs> for, uh-huh. uh, and, you know, and a drunk, you know, it, it's great. It's great. You get to see it all in person. Um, Everybody. I mean, you hear this a lot about first pitch Arizona and, and it's painfully true. Everybody is so nice, mm-hmm. right? Like we all want to get to know each other, like whether you're in the industry or not. Right. Like one of my favorite things there is just meeting other people who like play fantasy baseball, right? Like right. the number of people in my inner circle here in person is me, right? Like I'm the only one. You mean your wife doesn't play fantasy baseball? Oh with God, you? no, no. She hates hearing to me. She hates hearing me talk about fantasy baseball for an hour and a half with you, even though she's not even in the room, right? That's her <laughs> level of interest in fantasy baseball. So get to meet all these folks, um, that, you know, some listen to the podcast, some don't. And I don't mm-hmm. even care. I just want to talk about fantasy baseball. Cause again, our friends are tired of hearing us talk about fantasy baseball, right? right the right. people in Arizona, though, that go to first pitch, uh, we're right next to Sloan Park, which is uh, where the Cubs play in spring training. Uh, and there, you know, there's a team from Arizona Fall League there. You, you go, you're at, you know, most of it's at the hotel across the street. I mean, I stayed in an Airbnb with our very own Miles Nelson. Had a great time. I recommend it for anyone who just wants to have a weekend about fantasy baseball, and then you know just to hang out with us as we watch baseball or heckle each other or do whatever it is we want to do.
1: Yeah, sounds like a great time. Definitely on my bucket list, especially uh, getting involved in that that poker game you're talking about.
2: Yeah, it's great losing to people that you've heard uh, yeah, in podcasts. Not? It's, it's a lot of fun. Right.
1: <laughs> so, a- any uh, players uh, catch your eye or just too busy mulling around and, and listening to the panels or anything? Anybody really like uh, stick out at you or, or anything?
2: Yeah. So, one of the games we went to, and I'm going to make sure I- I've got the right kid. I-, I believe his name is Nick York. He is a, uh, yeah, Nick York. He's a middle infield prospect for the Red Sox, second base. And, you know, there was talk that he wasn't a good fielder, but man, this game. Kid had some big hits, made an you know made a couple really slick plays at second base. Really looked like a different guy than what I had read from on the scouting report. So mm. so that was really fun. Um, I got to see, uh, Tigers prospect Colt Keith, who I think has really raised his stock during the Arizona Fall League. Uh, I mean, he's just one of these like sort of do it all guys. It's hard to see his fit in fantasy, but he fields, he makes contact, he's got a bit of pop power. I think he's going to be a really nice. for the Tigers even if he's not like a fantasy thing but if you're in one of those deep you know in those deep dynasty leagues it's not a bad name to throw on your list of guys to look for on the wire
1: sure sure Um, that's Colt Keith Colt Keith and he's a Tiger so you know what what else could uh, we ask for right
2: yeah and I you know I did get to see Jason Dominguez for a little bit he's the one I think everybody would really want to know about right he's the big biggest prospect that's in Arizona, and. He looked okay. I mean, he definitely he's definitely swinging and missing more now than he did early in the Arizona Fall League, but it's worth noting that this this guy's 19. He's built like someone who's middle, you know, like peak, of, you know, he's built like a 27-year-old, but he is 19. He's been right. playing above his age really all season, so it was nice to see him get the hot start and making these adjustments to, to strikeouts is something he's going to have to keep being able to do throughout the minors to really match that high prospect pedigree that he's got.
1: Yeah, I heard a lot of people talking also about uh, Matt Mervis, uh, first base prospect for the Cubs. And I I think there was a, was it the, you were there for the All Star game as well for that weekend? Not you personally, but I think, or is a home run hitting? The The home run, run
2: the home run derby was during the World Series. Wow.
1: Okay. (laughs) It was basically the same time. So
2: I missed that. I watched the World Series with Nick Pollock, who got really, really depressed once Zach Wheeler left the game. And the subsequent events did not cheer him
1: up. Right, 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 right. Well, look, you know, as a Yankee fan, not thrilled that the Astros won, but happy for Dusty Baker. You know, uh, seems like he's one of the nicest guys in baseball. So we'll take that from it. But, uh, hey, you know, baseball season's over and free agent season and the hot stove season started. And it started off with a bang there, Scott. Uh, Edwin Diaz, uh, Mets reliever. Signs a five-year, hundred two million dollar contract, and it's one of these uh, contracts with a lot of deferments. Right, twenty-six and a half million of it deferred through uh, twenty forty-two. I think it's July first every year. They call it Bobby Bonilla Day here in New York because <laughs> the the Mets are still paying him. You know, uh, s- some about amount. a million
2: dollars a year. Yeah, right, which To right. be fair, was a is was and is a great contract for the Mets.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah.
2: Because, like, it has no impact on their salary, Cath. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vanilla gets his, I mean, functionally an annuity every year. Yeah. Yeah. It's his uh, retirement but, fund but like, every year. Well, I mean, yeah. what's a million in today's baseball? Right. right. Like, mm-hmm. dropping the bucket. So, right. I mean, it, which is insane on its own take, but. But it's a great contract for them because if they had front-loaded, it would have really hamstrung them and how they tried to build their teams. Not that a lot of them were super successful, but it would have really made it difficult to roster teams because they would have had all that money tied up in the front. By spreading it all out, it makes an easier impact. We've seen other players get deals like this. Max Scherzer, when he signed with the Nats, got a deal that was intended to pay him seven more years after he retired. Not entirely sure the status of that now, but I mean, that's just... That's just something baseball teams are willing to do because buying a championship is not cheap.
1: Right. Yes, especially in today's dollars, like you like you said. But uh so the the Mets uh locking Diaz up. He had a great, great season. Five years. Uh I think he's got a, a no trade, uh a full no trade through the twenty twenty five season, limited no trade after that. And it's the biggest uh deal, including guaranteed money. Uh, in the history of baseball, for a, a reliever, so Mets locking him up. I, I like the deal for for the Mets, uh, and, and shows that they have very deep pockets and are just going to go all in to, to win.
2: Yeah, it does, and you know, I was looking and and wondering if this would impact his sort of draft value. Uh, right now, his ADP. In NFBC leagues is 32. The, the data, the way that that data works is almost all of these are before Edwin Diaz signed, right? Mm-hmm. Like all 17 picks are almost certainly before Edwin Diaz signed that contract because they don't really post those draft results until the drafts are over. Right. Because otherwise it really messes with ADP. So all these picks are with him and I can't imagine it changing.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I think being between pick 30 and 40, obviously, I mean, he's the eighth pitcher off the board. Right there's seven starters that go, and, and the then there's a group. pair of relievers for the NFBC, mm-hmm. uh, him and Emmanuel Class, and and this is this is probably just going to stay the same. I don't think any, I don't think anyone was giving a discount for Edwin Diaz based on the fact he didn't have a team because mm-hmm. he was going to have a team. He was going to close. He is absolute That's electricity out of the pen. And when you're a team like the Mets who feel they're very close to competing, the last thing you want to be doing is shopping for or finding a reliever to right. be your guy. Right, you can't afford to give those games up. You have right. to, you have to have a guy. Edwin Diaz is their guy. The fans love him. Uh, he he's got you know he's got Tony trumpet playing yeah. playing him in. Uh, it, it's a great signing for the Mets. I think it's good Ooh. for Edwin Diaz. It locks in his value. If you if you had doubt about it, you shouldn't anymore.
1: Right, right. And, and that's right. just
2: that's the value he brings to the table.
1: And you're right, he is. Definitely going to be their closer, of course, and would have been a closer with any other team he signed with. But uh, the Mets, here and there, last season, they uh, used him. You know, in the seventh inning, the eighth inning, they, they there were times when they weren't afraid to use him outside of the ninth inning if he was facing like the heart or the meat of, of uh, an opponent's order. So, and uh, you know, he he didn't complain about it. You know, because obviously uh, that might have. You know, limited uh, number of saves by a, a couple here and there, uh, but uh, he showed good faith. Mets showed good faith, and and he's going to be a Met for a while. So uh, another couple of um, signings, uh, Rafael Montero signed the three-year deal to stay with the Astros. Um, Clayton Kershaw signs a one-year deal. Uh, to stay with the Dodgers, and we've got uh, a lot of players opting out of their contracts there, Scott, this week. Justin Verlander declined this $25 million option, now free agent, and Astros, uh, like I mentioned, they, they signed uh, Montero, and uh, kind of surprisingly, I guess, James Click, their GM, quit after being offered uh, a one-year deal after uh, winning a World Series, and their assistant GM, Scott Powers, also fired, so a little Little intrigued there, but uh, supposedly Click didn't really get along with the Astros owner. But the guy won a World Series, and I guess they just gave him a, a one year contract just just to, to give it to him. You know, uh, kind of disrespectful, I guess, that he didn't get more than one year. But I guess that's why Click felt and he left.
2: Yeah, I mean, what a what an embarrassment of riches that you can decide that you're wanna you've won a couple World Series lately, and eh, GM is no big deal right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's other teams that are dying to have a GM that can help take them to the show and, you know, it. they, they don't want him. I'm not super concerned. I think the the Justin Verlander thing is interesting. I, I think his his stock is as high as it could be, right? I mean, he's mm-hmm. going to win another Cy Young. Yeah. I think Nick and, and many others believe that he really overperformed his metrics, but at the same time, when you're a Wiley veteran, you can do that for a while. Yeah. Uh, I know a lot of people here in Michigan and and Detroit fans are really hoping for a one-year reunion. Even though it doesn't make a ton of sense, the Tigers are more than a pitcher or two away from competing, especially with the number of young players that they'll be missing in their rotation early in the season, like Mize and Scooble. But I think that'll be somewhat interesting for fantasy purposes, but it also won't be, right? I mean, it's not as though Verlander was in some especially pitcher-friendly environment. It wasn't as though... Uh, there's something special about H- – I mean, Houston develops pitching – They do have well, a and- really
1: good offense, but you're right. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know.
2: it, it might – I mean, the worst thing that happens is it impacts his win total, but also it's hard to imagine it will impact it that much because mm-hmm. you can't imagine a non-competitor going for Justin Verlander mm-hmm. or Justin Verlander going to a non-competitor unless it's maybe Detroit because he has something sentimental there, but I'm not sure he does. He won right. those World Series in
1: Houston, right? Not here. So the guy says he wants to pitch till he's 45. So maybe he's testing the free agent market to see who'll give him the most years. I mean, he's definitely going to get a contract, but you know. Yeah.
2: And I mean, it's true. Like, I think, I think what you'll end up seeing is a one or two year contract with options, right? I I can't Mm -hmm. imagine a team trying to do more than that. But again, his, his fantasy value is the same. It's really the same, almost no matter where he goes, you have to expect that. The ERA number is going to get a little worse, right? Because his his you know the the secondary metrics just don't show that he should have had such a low ERA. But you're still going to get a good ERA. You're going to get a very good pitcher. You're going to get someone who's probably in the top top ten to fifteen uh, at worst top twenty, right? Because his floor is insanely high unless he just doesn't play. So I mean. It's an interesting saga to watch from a baseball perspective, but from a fantasy perspective, it just doesn't really change anything. Right now, yep. he's going as the 18th total pitcher off the board. Uh, that actually probably puts him closer to like the, just inside the top 15. For starters, he's being taken just after Julio Urias and Zach Wheeler. He's being taken before Carlos Rodon, who doesn't have a team quite yet, if I'm not mistaken, and Shane Correct. Bieber. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he's sort of in this... He's in this place kind of in the middle, and it seems about right. He's going around pick 50. I think in some shallower leagues, you might see him go closer to pick 60. In these NFBC leagues, you see pitchers get pushed up a bit because you need so many in a Mm 15-team league. But in your traditional Yahoo League or ESPN, he's maybe closer to pick 60. But, I mean, that seems about right, and I don't see any location that changes that significantly.
1: Right. Uh, Other big names that opted out, became free agents, Xander Bogarts, shortstop for the Red Sox. That was kind of expected. Uh, Carlos Correa, who uh, spent the last year with the Twins. Jacob deGrom, who announced this way back in spring training that he was going to opt out. And already rumors that he has interest in in pitching for the Rangers. Uh, Anthony Rizzo opted out. Uh, Carlos Rodon, you mentioned. So uh, some pretty big names opted out this week. And uh, it's going to be a fun hot stove season.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I know we're going to talk about this more later, but uh, steamer projections came out recently. And I think Xander Bogarts is one who has one that's sort of interesting. It's projecting that his power will come back a little bit, right? He only hit 15 home runs this last season. I think that was a big disappointment coming off 23 home runs in 2021. He had 33 in 2019. In that short 60 game season, he hit 11, right? He was slugging close to 500. It drops to 456. What's weird is Steamer projects him to hit 19 home runs, which is more than what he had, right? But it also projects him to slug less, right? 433. So it's very interesting to see Steamer do that. It's more of it almost seems like a hedge where they think that he'll be somewhere between the previous two years. They also don't think his batting average will be as high, but that's actually something that isn't surprising because Steamer is a historically conservative projection, particularly Mm -hmm. on things like stolen bases and batting average. Think about it. It projects Trey Turner for like 23 stolen bases, right? We know that's not true. We just know that. But Steamer, very conservative on the stolen base end. So I wouldn't think too hard about that. But it is interesting to see that they think they'll get some power back, but not a lot. Uh, I think he's a difficult person to value coming into drafts for next year. I think that... He's, you know, there's some stuff that's safe. I think the batting average, of course, is very safe. He's going yeah. right now as shortstop number 11. It's behind Wander Franco and NFBC. He's ahead of like Tommy Edmund and Willie Adams. He's actually quite ahead of uh, Willie Adams. He's going around the same as Wander Franco and Tommy Edmund. And between the three, <clears throat> I, I really like Bogert's while, you know, Edmund is a stolen base guy. Franco, I'm not sure what to expect. Health has been an issue. He doesn't have a lot of pop. He doesn't have a lot of speed. Uh, he really needs counting stats and batting average, but Bogert almost seems like a safer bet than that, uh, especially because 20 home runs and like five stolen bases is the, uh, is the higher end of what I expect for Wander Franco. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, maybe he has a better batting average, but Bogart seems a lot safer than that. And it's not as though Boston was boosting his value all that much. Right. right? I mean, Boston, right. the offense has not been the same. Yeah. It's a, it's a fairly fitter hitter friendly park, but not so much that it's a huge deal for him. Um, If anything, it might help him get a couple home runs because he doesn't have to hit over that wall anymore. It's he's a difficult guy, but we do know that shortstop is insanely deep, right? It's It's not only, yes, it's not only deep with elite guys because like Tatis and Lindor are four and five, right? And they're going inside the top 35 picks. It's top on the back end too, right? The 15th shortstop going off the board, guy you mentioned, Carlos Correa. We don't know what team he'll be on. We don't always know how much he'll play. He's going his pick 124, right? I mean, that's pretty darn late. That's the 15th shortstop off the board. So depending on the type of league you have, shortstop is either going to feel very deep or it's going to feel like you really needed one of those top guys, right? Because there is a drop-off and it happens around that Carlos Correa, Ahmed Rosario range, uh, because after that it gets really scary, but man, that's a that's a position like a a hitting position that is fifteen sixteen guys deep for guys I think that are fine to start at any given time in a twelve teamer. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. wild.
1: Yeah, and we can stick with the steamer uh, projections. I just love when they come out too because it's just like you know looking at the back of a of a, a baseball card. Just I could spend hours just looking at these things. And you mentioned a, a couple of guys uh, before the show. And we could even, we're going to be talking first base later, uh, doing a little breakdown on that position. But since you're talking shortstop, you had mentioned O'Neill Cruz and his projections. And I was a little surprised also just looking at Jeremy Pena uh, with a 246 projected batting average, 291 OBP, uh, 23 home runs, and there's a 10 stolen bases for him. Uh, a little surprised that those projections are a little low for, for Pena.
2: I I mean, I completely agree with you. I think they're low. I love Jeremy Pena. Mm -hmm. He had functionally lost two months of this season by a big slump, right? It was really his first major adjustment period. It goes from like May and June and a bit into July. He still finishes the season hitting 253. Look, Mm -hmm. the OBP was not good. It was 289, but he gets 22 home runs, 11 stolen bases. And again, two months, basically just thrown out the window. He was no good. But he right. looked great in the playoffs. He looked great in the final month of the season. He looked great in the first two months of the season. So I'm really, if Steamer, again, a historically very conservative projection. Going for 23 home runs, 10 stolen bases. Functionally the same output he put in last year. But that would assume that he loses two months again, right, right. To, to adjustments. And I just think he can make those adjustments faster now. Again, mm-hmm. one of the ways to really get ahead, especially early in the fantasy baseball preseason, uh, which you could call this, is to find the projections you disagree with, right? Because we're all going to be using projections. We are all going to be really trying to use those projections to help us get ahead. That's where all of your auction calculators start, our projections. And the way you get ahead is by finding the ones that you disagree with and moving those guys up or down your board. I can tell you Jeremy Pena is a guy moving moving up my board. If you listen to my recent podcast with Nick on On The Corner to talk about the mock draft we did a little earlier this offseason, even before projections came out, I was comfortable waiting on shortstop for a long time in a 12 teamer because I knew I could get Jeremy Pena. And if you tell me Jeremy Pena will be that much worse than a guy like Dansby Swanson, who you have to get much, much, much earlier, I mean, I just don't think there's enough of a gap there to justify like the 10 rounds I get to wait to take Jeremy Pena. Mm-hmm. I think his stock's going to come up here during the offseason, but I think I love Jeremy Pena. I mean, if 20, I see that 22 home runs, you know, just over 20 home runs, about 10 stolen bases and a 250 average. I think that's the floor. I think that's the worst that we'll see from Jeremy Pena. I think that he's become a much better hitter and that he's going to be a better value than that. And he's a great back end option at shortstop. And I think the only thing that moves his value up is more people are going to realize that he's going too late, right? <laughs> his ADP will come up to a more reasonable level and I'll still be taking him.
1: Yeah. Right? I don't yeah. just
2: like the value, I like the player. So mm-hmm. if the value gets worse, I'm still going to like the player.
1: Yeah. Uh, and you alluded to Fernando Tatis. Uh, they have him playing only 125 games, obviously, because he's going to start the season serving his suspension for PED use, but still 37 home runs in that 125 game uh, play, a season. And this is something that we talked about. You know, I, I'm a little shy about. Uh, drafting him just because of all his issues, but he's getting that shoulder taken care of now during he's having uh, surgery uh, in the off season. And, but you and I both have agreed that as soon as his bat's in the lineup, the guy hits.
2: So here are the number of shortstops that Steamer projects to hit more than 30 home runs. Again, remembering that this is a conservative sort of projection. Fernando Tatis Jr. End list. Right, he is the only one they think will hit that many home runs. Second is Willie Adames at 28, which I think is a spicy little projection, and I like it a lot. But mm-hmm. Tatis is also projected to hit 283, 37 home runs, 20 stolen bases. That sounds a lot like one of the best players in fantasy. I think you know it's crazy. To me, he's he's actually going. He's he's going a little further down in drafts in NFBC, and NFBC is the first ADP data we get, so it drives a lot of the ADP that we see later. Here's the thing though, NFBC doesn't have an IL especially in draft champions. And you can't get burned like that on an early pick because they're 15-team leagues. Tatis mm-hmm. is shortstop and outfield eligible. And I think in 12-team yep. or 10-team leagues, especially if you have an IL, he needs to be going towards the end or end of the first round, beginning of the second. That's how good Tatis is. You can make up those innings, especially in like a Yahoo league when you only need one shortstop and three outfielders. You can make up those those games early in the season. He's coming back right away because The Padres were able to go a bit in the playoffs and that counted towards his suspension. So he's not missing that much of this season. I mean, less than a month, he's going to be in, he's going to play really well. Uh, I mean, at that point, then you just have to wonder, what are my health concerns? And there's obvious ones, but also you have to remember that he just took a lot of time off, which Mm -hmm. gave him a lot of time to get those issues fixed. I think he's going to be a very volatile player in the sense that you're going to have to decide on a draft by draft basis, whether that's someone you want to pick, Mm -hmm. but in terms of what his pick will be, I'm surprised at the range, right? He's gone that min pick of 16 max of 55. That's bizarre to me because I think what we all agree is look when he plays, he's elite and in more shallow leagues, right? Again, when we're looking at NFBC data, what we're seeing is draft champions data. And that is a very interesting format. If you haven't played it, it really requires durability, right? Because even though you draft 50 players deep, you will have times where you can't start anybody at a certain position because there's no free agent acquisitions. It's a draft and hold and you just run out of shortstops or catchers, right? You just run out. Mm-hmm. But, uh, so I see why there might've been some apprehension there, but man, Tatis Jr. is so good. I think for steamer, a project, a conservative projection system to have them that high is nuts. If you look at steamer 600, which basically says everybody plays 142 games, 600 played appearances, right? What if, right? The number one player they have for uh, projected war is Fernando Tatis Jr. Mm -hmm. They say if you were to play 142 games, which isn't possible, but if he did, they projected 40 home runs and 22 stolen bases, A a conservative projection, right? You know how many home runs they projected Aaron Judge for? 38.
1: Right. They think Fernando
2: Tatis Jr. will hit two more home runs. Like that's a little wild and sort of blows my mind, but at the same time. There's a reason that even a project a conservative projection system loves Fernando Tatis Jr. Because every time he's on the field, he's making plays, he's getting hits. That's just what he does. He's an unbelievable talent. So um, I'm very curious to see what that looks like. By comparison, another shortstop who I've been talking about, who I find very difficult to value going into next year, Wander Franco. They think he's going to be fantastic from a war perspective. They also think he's only going to hit 15 home runs and steal 10 bases. Right. And that's if he gets 600 plate appearances, I think he'll get slightly more. But I mean, that's that's insane. Right. And Wander Franco is a very weird fantasy player just because a lot of of them
1: for us to kind of make that determination. Is he eventually going to be a a 20 to 25 home run guy? Is he going to be the going to be a 2020 guy? I I don't think unfortunately we we haven't seen enough of him because he he missed a a bunch of time last year uh, due to health issues.
2: Yeah. And I mean, they they also think he's just going to rope doubles. Mm -hmm. right? I mean, I think that it's projecting more double. career.
1: And then he might get some of that man strength. It might turn into a, like I said, a 2025 homer guy.
2: And if there's one tool that projects into power other than power, it's hit, right? A hit tool can turn into power, Yeah, but it's, you know, it's kind of interesting to see what that's going to look like for him. Uh, I think 142 games would be an amazing outcome for Wander Franco. They -hmm. actually project him for more than that slightly, but projecting playing time is one of the hardest things to do. You can know that in 2021 he played a grand total of 110 games. This last season he played I think about 92 games across three levels. The batting average is obviously good. He stole eight bases in those games. So, you know, that's something to think about. But Wander Franco again, very very difficult guy to project. I will be surprised if he ends up on any of my teams because I prefer the more volatile the more volatile but louder tool O'Neal Cruz. Right, so Cruz of the Pirates, a six foot five shortstop, right, and an absolute Adonis of a man. Uh, he throws harder than anybody. He hits it harder than anybody. He runs faster than just about anybody. Uh, he, I mean, he does it all. He's he's an amazing athlete. And again, is six five. It's a, hard to imagine a six five guy being that athletic on a baseball field. That's usually like a pitcher who kind of just like bumbles around, right? But uh, no, he's a shortstop, O'Neill Cruz. And here's the thing. So they are projecting a 250 batting average. And if you look at his season stats, you're going to be like, how could they project 250 when he struck out 40% of the time? Now there's a reason for that. And if you follow me on Twitter, you might know what I'm getting to. It's that it's only about 48 plate appearances. But for his last 48 plate appearances, which is close to a somewhat sticky number for things like strikeout rate and walk rate, he had as many walks as strikeouts. It was like 10.3% for both, right? That's insane. The kind of play discipline he's showing based on what he had before. Now the power came down a bit during that time, but it proved to me he does know the strike zone. He knows it, right? He just also knows that he's got amazing power. And if he connects with a ball, it's going to go a long way, right? So Mm -hmm. it'll be interesting to see. I'm really going to be watching him and like the, in spring training and early in the season to see those strikeout rates, but I'm really excited about him. And so is Steamer, projecting 27 home runs and 19 steals for him, even with a 250 batting average. That's a fantastic outcome. I'm really excited about what he can do. I think hype is going to start coming in on him. Uh, and of course, he's limited a bit by the fact that he's a pirate and they're a terrible team. But O'Neill Cruz is a guy I think is going to continue to get uh, pumped up. And it's not just helium, it's that he has amazing raw skills. So uh, consistency will be an issue, but I think he's a guy who's really going to jump off the page as soon as next season.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. Agree with you. Uh, another guy I think you mentioned was uh, Alejandro Kirk that you, uh, some, something uh, caught your eye. With yeah. You. So,
2: and I think it's because I'm the low man on Alejandro Kirk right? So Alejandro Kirk right now projected next year for Steamer, 19 home runs, 285 batting average. That's really the hallmark for him. He does have a great hit tool. I won't, you know, I won't knock that. He was a top 50-ish prospect. Uh, he's, he's a, as as Fangraph says, a bowling ball of a human and every bit of that, right? He's 5'8", 265 behind the dish. He did hit 285 this last season, hit 14 home runs, Here's the thing. And he had amazing plate discipline, more walks than strikeouts. The problem is how his splits worked out. And I don't want to just always be like, oh, second half splits means he's not any good. But in the second half, he only hit 246. He hit just three home runs in 56 games. Right? Something happened there. And I'm wondering why none of the projections or folks making rankings care. Right? Like that's 56, 56 games, 203 plate appearances of below. I mean, just not very good right? I mean, he did have one more walk than strikeouts, but like those rates don't matter when you're hitting 246, right? Like why, why should I be excited about a guy who in the entire second half had a 95 WRC plus he slugged 320 in the second half with a 340 OBP. That tells you a lot about his power, right? It vanished. I'm very concerned about it. And I'm certainly concerned about it because uh, obviously again, these draft champions leagues are two catcher leagues and all that. But Alejandro Kirk going seventh among catchers. And I think people are going to push him up even higher on their draft boards. And that's wild to me because Mm -hmm. to me, number one, I think Adley Rushman is the guy that you want to be targeting. I think that he's a fantastic talent. I think that what he showed in the second half uh, being, I think the second best player in war in the second half uh, between him and Aaron Judge, right? I mean, part of that's his defense. You don't get to take that with you in fantasy, but Rushman is an otherworldly hitter, Alejandro Kirk just wasn't. He was dead weight, right? Unless you're in OBP leagues, he was absolute dead weight for you in fantasy. And if you're gonna like why why use a pick on him as a top seven catcher that's gonna happen, you know, NFBC pick 108, right? Why do that when you can just wait and get Sean Murphy, who was every bit as good in fantasy last year, worse batting average, but better everything else, mm-hmm. he goes pick 162, 50 picks later.
1: He got off. Give the, me that every time. Start, he he, he kind of did the opposite of what Kirk had done, if I recall, because I had him on uh, one of my teams. He just was non-existent like the first quarter, maybe a little bit longer of the season. Then really came on.
2: Yeah, and in, in a single catcher league, like Sean Murphy was borderline. Like, uh he was like a borderline sort of rotator, right? Mm. Like you could cut him, you could stream him, you could do whatever you want. But again, at that point, it just it makes me wonder, right? And how long, if he continues to show no power, how long will Toronto let him, let Alejandro Kirk DH? Volume is the other real big piece. And I'll tell you this, Gabriel Moreno, who is the, who's actually the big catching prospect for Toronto. They actually have three catchers that you have to worry about. You've got, Alejandro Kirk, you've got Danny Jansen and you've got Gabriel Marino. thing about Marino is he had a slow start, but he is a guy who will be more consistent, I think, in terms of batting average. He's that kind of player, right? He's got an amazing hit tool as well. Kirk, I think, will become redundant. And if he continues to show no power, why hang around with him, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, You could just go with the younger uh, Gabriel Marino. Uh, You figure out what you got to do with Danny Jansen versus uh, Alejandro Kirk, but one of those guys is likely to be gone, I just I feel like there's so much downside with him. And I would at least want the guy that's right after him in the ranking. So it's Kirk at seven. Number eight, MJ Melendez, who does play outfield. He's catcher and outfield eligible. He mostly plays in the outfield right now. And he leads off. Right. And yeah, hit the batting average isn't nearly as good, but there's pop there. There's speed. He's like a poor man's Dalton Varsho. So why I mean, I just I'm still battling with why there's there's such a push on Alejandro Kirk when he might just be empty batting average at catcher, which, I mean, that's something. But with how deep catcher is becoming, I I don't see it.
1: Oh, they project him to have 19 home runs, and Danny Jansen, who you uh, mentioned before, Steamer projects him to have 22 home runs. And that's a, there's a lot of at-bats for both of these guys, and it's going to be interesting if Steamer's projections are on the right track to see how the Blue Jays get these guys playing time. If, if maybe they use, uh, like you mentioned, Kirk, uh, they use them as a DH last season, but they have uh, Jansen. Uh, steamer has Danny Jansen playing 160, 116 games and Kirk with 126. Yeah. they. I mean, just to
2: sort of put a cap on it, they steamer currently projects Alejandro Kirk to have a one forty one WRC plus mm. that's 11 points better than Adley Rutschman. It's many points better than JT Real Mudo, Will Smith, all those guys, right? I will light my pants on fire. If Alejandro Kirk has a better end of year WRC plus than Rushman, Real Mudo, Smith, and I mean, n- name them, right? Like mm. he just, I just don't think he will. I don't think that power's there. I don't see how they project him to be second among catchers in slugging. I just don't see it. from what? The guy slugged 20 points below his OBP in the second half, right? I mean, they are seeing, they are projecting an adjustment that I just think is wild, right? They just expect him to go back to his first half and you just can't do that, right? Not unless you have a longer track record, you know, to sort of riff on that. They do project Juan Soto to be much like he was prior to last season when he fell off in the second half. But we have years of data on Juan Soto in the major leagues being a plus, plus, plus hitter. We have two and a half months of Alejandro Kirk being a plus-plus hitter and about as long not being that. So that's really where my concern is there. Again, I think that he's a fine catcher for fantasy, but to me, he's totally back end and one that could be on the brink of being a replaceable player if that power looks anything like it did in the second half, meaning non-existent.
1: So in a one-catcher league, he's not on on your team?
2: He will almost always be taken before I think about considering him.
1: Mm -mm. All right. Fair enough. All right. So um, we're going to be referring back to these theme of projections uh, as we we're going to be uh, talking. Like I mentioned before, first base uh, position, and we're going to get started with the top five uh, right after this.
0: When it comes to weight management, we tend to put our focus on what we eat, but Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat, and that's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization And based on a sample of 4272 numers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Try Noom today and see the results for yourself. Sign up for your trial today at noom.com. That's n o o m.com to sign up for your trial today.
1: All right, we're back. Hacks and Jacks, a fantasy baseball podcast. Joe Galina, Scott Chu. As I mentioned right before our quick little break, we're going to be uh, analyzing the first base fantasy baseball position. And basically, Scott, the, the top five, you, you go with Vlad Guerrero. Uh, this is according to NFBC. Vlad Guerrero, Freddie Freeman is second, Pete Alonzo third, Paul Goldschmidt fourth, and Olsen, Matt Olsen, Fifth. Uh, and what I'll say just quickly about Vlad Guerrero, number one, he's an idiot, immature, dumb. What he said about the Yankees that uh, he'd never sign with them, never play for them, even if he was dead or whatnot. But, um, you know, he's basically, you know, I mean, the Yankees have deep pockets. So if you ever get to the free agent market, you're going to want them bidding on you. But if the Blue Jays are smart, and I'm sure they are, they're going to sign him to a long-term deal. But uh, last season, about at 274, 32 home runs after hitting 48 the season before. And the one thing I did notice, the launch angle went back down to 4.3 in 2020 it was 4.6. And a lot of us were saying, hey, he's got to get that launch angle up and he'll hit tons of home runs. And he did. Like I said, in 2021, hit 48 home runs. But um, the launch angle went from 9.4 in 2021 to 4.3 in 2022. So obviously, you know, I have no problem with him being ranked as as the number one first baseman, min-max of 8 and 20.
2: Yeah, and I I ranked him first as well in that that hitter list I did, uh, which feels just forever ago now, about a month ago. But I, I did rank him at the top. Uh, He's not in my top tier of players, but he's in the same tier. I'm, and I have Guerrero Betts, Freeman, Alonzo. I mean, just eight through 11. I think that there's a lot of reasons you might opt for the safer Freeman or Alonzo based on the type of league you have based on what your preferences are. Obviously I think Alonzo should be the one you expect to lead first baseman in home runs. Uh, just because it's not as though Vlad Guerrero can't do it. It's more like Vlad Guerrero, uh, hasn't done it every time he's obviously a very good player, but you know, again, his consistency is somewhat questionable, right? Uh, It's, it's weird to say that because he's felt very, very safe, but he did not finish at the top of first base ranks last year. Right. He in Mm -hmm. fact finished fourth safely behind Goldschmidt, Freeman, and Alonzo. Right. I mean, he was, he was quite a bit behind them, uh, despite stealing more bases than we thought, simply because he he didn't have all the other pieces, particularly the batting average, which usually is a huge piece of his game. I do think it can come back. I think that there's a reason he's being projected as number one. I think his ceiling is certainly number one, but I'm probably going to be finding myself waiting a bit on first base and skipping Vlad Guerrero Jr. unless he sort of falls into my lap and and goes a little longer than I expect.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and uh, just backtrack to what I said about his comments with the Yankees. In a way, it's pretty cool. You know, you want that rivalry. You know, the Red Sox and the Yankees have that rivalry. And and uh, Vlad has been successful against the Yanks. So in a way, like, you know, I call him immature and dumb and whatever. But it is kind of cool that he's creating this rivalry, which is. Uh,
2: yeah, we'll see if he changes his mind in 2026 when he's projected to be an actual free agent.
1: Yeah, but if the Blue Jays are smart and and they seem to be a smart organization, they'll have them signed to a long-term deal way before that, so uh, we'll see. Uh, Freddie Freeman, the home runs went down by a bunch from 31 to 21. uh, In 2021, he had 31 home runs. In 2022, only hit 21. Did bang out 47 doubles, so I'm really not that concerned. Are are you? I mean, Steamer, I think, has him for... 25 home runs, and I'm surprised just 88 RBI, uh, and that's kind of low RBI total for a loaded uh, lineup like the Dodgers have, and he batted second and third all season long.
2: Yeah, I mean, again, that's that's really on Steamer as a fairly conservative projection system, Mm -hmm. although it's also going to be looking at things like in 2021, he only had 83, but... Mm -hmm you know other than that i mean he's he's probably going to have more than that last year he got his 117 runs scored 100 rbi uh he, again he didn't we didn't see the same power that maybe we expected but he still he actually slugged higher because like you mentioned he had all those doubles yeah. he stole 13 bases which i thought was interesting the plate discipline remained amazing i mean this is just an incredibly high floor player yeah so he you know despite the lack of power he finished as the number 2 fantasy first baseman last season behind paul goldschmidt Mm -hmm. And it wasn't by much. And with Goldschmidt sort of being more average in the second half, Freeman was probably the number one through that time. So uh, he's, you know, he's someone that you're going to take, you're going to feel, no one feels bad about taking Freddie Freeman. He's going to pick 15 in this right behind Vlad Guerrero Jr. And if you have Freeman above Guerrero Jr. in your ranks, that's fine, right? Again, I have them within two spots of each other, Mm -hmm. right? And in the same tier. So if you flipped him, what am I going to say to you? right? Freddie Freeman is just a safer player. His floor is like top three first baseman. You just don't see him go lower than that. When he plays, he's good. I I get it. And that 325 batting average, like for a lot of teams, they might've rather had that extra batting average uh, and good counting stats than just the extra home runs, potentially sacrificing the batting average. Mm
1: -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, following Freeman, we have Pete Alonzo, Mets first baseman. Basically, if he's healthy, he's guaranteed 40 home runs, Uh hit 40 last year with 131 RBI, uh, career best 271 batting average, really don't have much to add about him. But uh, I mean, if, you, if you're looking for a solid floor for a player to hit home runs, there aren't that many players that you could just count on to hit 40 home runs every single year, Uh, you know.
2: I mean, yeah. I totally agree. I, I just, yeah. one, he plays, he plays all the time. Yeah. 161 of 162 games, 57 mm-hmm. of 60 games, 152 of 161 games, 160 of 161 games. Those are his yeah. four seasons in the major leagues. Yeah. Right. Uh, the the floor is incredibly high. He had that two thirty one batting average in 2020. Remember that's only a 57 game sample. Mm-hmm. So there were likely 57 game samples this last year where he hit 231. Mm-hmm. But as he's so consistent. It finishes at 271, the best finish of his short career so far. I mean, Steamer projects him for 39 home runs, right? And, and that's the second most among first basemen. They actually project more for Vlad Guerrero Jr., which kind of confuses me because 39 home runs would be less than what he just hit this year and would be his, you know, would only be two more than he hit in 2021, right? Which mm-hmm. is currently his lowest full season total. Yes. In, it, when a, in a full season, he has 53, 37, and 40. Right? right? I mean, that's that's the polar bear for you. He's, and he had 131 RBI, 13 fewer home runs than he hit in 2019. But thanks to the better team in New York, he got 131 RBI. That's a massive number. The play discipline was better than ever, right? Uh, walking 9.8% of the time, only striking out 18.7. I think that really gives you that batting average 4 you've been looking sure. for. If you had mm-hmm. any concern about it before, that's two straight years with a sub 20% strikeout rate. Again, he is just an immensely safe play. I mean, I I don't see a scenario where I ever rank him above Freddie Freeman, but I see every scenario where what I did this season was I ranked Freddie Freeman 10, Pete Alonzo 11. Mm-hmm. That, yep. I mean, that's just the way that's going to be because I tend to value that batting average just a little bit more because it's hard to make that up if you don't get it. But- with those plate discipline numbers, it's hard to imagine Pete Alonso ever hitting below two fifty for a full season again.
1: Right, yeah, probably more like two. I mean, two sixty, two seventy, like we saw. Mm-hmm. Uh, next first baseman coming off the board in NFBC drafts, Paul Goldschmidt, another tremendous season. Had a really good uh, year in twenty twenty one with thirty one home runs and ninety nine RBI. Followed that up with thirty five home runs and one hundred fifteen RBI in 2022, batted 317. You know, getting up there is going to be 35 years old this season, but uh, really showing no signs of slowing down. Uh, had that personalized bat made uh, through uh, that baseball performance lab out of Baton Rouge, Louisiana, right? They made a, a custom bat. Um, and, you know, like I said, he had a big year in 2021, so I guess you know, you really can't just give all the credit to that personalized bat. But I, I find that fascinating, the, the players that go to that lab. Nolan Arenado and Matt Carpenter also joined Goldschmidt at the lab. And and look at what Matt Carpenter did during the regular season, right? So uh, really not much more to say about, about Goldschmidt. I mean, I'm expecting another big year out of him.
2: Yeah, again, we're going to talk a lot about how he was not as good in the second half. But don't let that be confused with not good. Right, right. What I don't want is for someone to think that he just like fell apart in the second half. Like his second half WRC plus is a lot different than his first half. First half it's one eighty four. Second half it's one sixty eight. Like, oh no, what are we gonna do? Right, like mm-hmm. he falls off a bit. It's fair to say he falls off a bit in September and October. Right, the plate discipline not quite as good. Uh, only hit two forty five that last month of the season. Only slugged three eighty three, but. Even then, right, if that's the price to pay for the first several months of just being utterly unstoppable, Mm -hmm. then so be it, right? It's hard to remember this guy only had one home run at the end of April. One. He had (laughs) one home run at the end of April. He then hit 10 in May, 8 in June, 5 more in July, 9 more in August, and Mm -hmm. then 2 in September. Like, I mean, a heck of a season for him. I do rank him in a full tier below Alonzo, Freeman, and Guerrero. Right, um, and, and you sort of see that in the NFBC values. He's a good seven picks behind those guys. Uh, I probably would expect it to be a little more, just because, I mean, he is getting older, right? I mean, he's he's thirty five. He's probably the first first baseman we run into that's got true, like he's quite old kind of things. But the the floor is just incredibly high for him as well. The home runs, I guess, are a little bit of a question, but not really, right? He's got at least thirty home runs in every full season since twenty seventeen. Mm-hmm. Right I mean that's just wait his worst batting average in that t- his worst batting average in that time is 260. He had that in 2019. The last 3 seasons 304, 294, 317. Right? Steamer projects 274. If so, so be it. He's still one of the top first basemen in the game. Uh, he was the number one first baseman of course last season. I think he's probably uh, you know certainly a top 3 or 4 option coming into this coming season. There's not, again, like you said, there's not a ton to say about it. The Steamer has him at four. Uh, if you use a auction calculator, they have him at four. Again, safely behind Freeman and Alonzo, but clearly the next best guy.
1: Yep. And rounding out the top five is Braves' first baseman, Matt Olson. Pretty much delivered what you'd expect. I mean, the batting average was a little bit lower than his 2021 batting average. He batted 240 last season compared to 271 in 2021. But really, uh, you're not drafting him for, you know, a high batting average, you know, you're looking for a 240, 250, maybe a, a 260, but the power is, is consistently been in the mid 30 range. And he had 34 homers and 130 uh, and drove in 103 RBI last year. So you basically got what you're expecting from him in last season.
2: Yeah, you did. Again, batting, you really hoped to see a better batting average after the amazing play discipline he showed in 2021. I think that was something that a lot of us were really excited about. Didn't quite pan out the way you hoped in 2022, but so be it. He had, you know, the thing with him is he has some of these really high ups and downs. And in 2022, we saw that we actually saw it late in the season in September. He apps. I mean, it's so weird. Uh, he, if you look at that rolling chart in September, he has some of the lowest lows we've seen from him in ages. Right, he's got 15 game streaks where his woba is 150. That's about oh. half of a bad woba, right? <laughs> like it's bad. <laughs> so, but what we see is between, like, just his last couple games, his rolling chart changes. On September 25th, that rolling chart is previous 15 games, 157 woba. On October 4th that rolling 15 game or October 5th rolling game Woba, 440 right mm-hmm. he has this ability to go on these absolute tears that can just change everything i think that's leaving a good taste in a lot of people's mouth uh and i'm not saying it shouldn't i'm just saying you have to remember that this is a high uh sort of a high ceiling low floor guy in spurts mm-hmm. so it can be a little rough to uh, to roster him if that's something you're worried about i know at the end of the season he finished Inside the top 10 at first base, but not quite as good as you want. I think it was about seventh or so. He was functionally tied with Christian Walker and CJ Crone in that tier, which is sort of the end of the tier that you feel really good about. I I rank him higher than that coming into this next season. Uh, I, I have him... Again, I don't have a ton of, I don't have any other first baseman between him and Paul Goldschmidt, but I have him in a full tier below Paul Goldschmidt, which feels right to me. And in the tier above, Nate Lowe, Vinny Pasquantino, Jose Abreu. But if the draft, if the ADP stays where it is, I'm probably skipping Matt Olson to get to these guys that are after him because I think that they have much higher floors, and I can hunt for ceiling elsewhere that doesn't come with such a dra- with, with such an anchor on your team when he's going through those rough spurts.
1: Right, right. And and you mentioned uh, one of the guys you just mentioned was Vinny Pasquantino. He's uh, sixth first baseman coming off the board in NFBC drafts. Um, you know, we talked about him in our last podcast, so you could go back and listen in. But I was just impressed uh, that in his debut season, he played 72 games and had an 11.7 walk rate and just an 11.4% K rate. And that's pretty much what he's done his entire career. But uh, you know, I think you had your concerns with just the supporting cast around him in that, if I recall, the supporting cast around him in that uh, Royals lineup. But got to love his contact skills. I'm not sure that he's going to be like a, a an automatic 30 home run guy, but I, I mid-20s uh, could be a definite possibility.
2: Yeah. I mean, Steamer thinks so too, right? Steamer gives him 24 home runs for next season with a 278 batting average, a 363 OBP. Uh, I mean, those are, those are fantastic numbers. And I, of course, I rank Vinny Pasquantino quite well. I rank him as the 51st hitter overall. He's right in this next tier of first baseman for me, Nate Lowe, Vinny Pasquantino, Jose Abreu. The thing about Pasquantino, it it doesn't sound like, you know, six sounds great, right? We talk about Matt Olsen, five, Vinny Pasquantino, six. Let's not forget that there's a 50 pick gap yeah, between no. two in the NFBC right now. And that mm-hmm. to me is wild. The max pick for Matt Olsen is 61. The min pick for Vinny Pasquantino 62, right? That means no one, I mean, and I get it. I didn't rank Matt or Matt Olson behind Vinny Pasquantino either, but you have to love the floor even when he struggled. I mean, doing the hitter list every week helps me see that even when this guy struggles, the play discipline is always there. Mm-hmm. What that means is that I think he can make adjustments better than other young players who we see go way up and down. I mean, I talked about O'Neal Cruz earlier in the podcast. He was a guy that went crazy up and down because he loses sense of that strike zone. He gets it back, it goes away, chases stuff he shouldn't chase. Not Vinny P. Vinny P only goes after balls he thinks he can hit, right? He forces pitchers to throw him strikes. And when you're a rookie, you need to see strikes, right? It's really hard to make your adjustments against a bunch of stuff that aren't strikes. I mean, we saw that problem for O'Neal Cruz. We don't see it with Vinny P though. I think that he's, he's got this really high floor for a second year player, much, Mm -hmm. much higher than we would expect. I'm worried a little bit about where the power will be because as he came back on uh, really towards the end of the season, the power wasn't quite where it had been earlier. But again, that's an adjustment I think he can make. I'd rather see a guy go from making lots of okay contact and turn that into lots of good contact than going from no contact to okay contact. Mm-hmm. I think that jump from no contact to okay contact is hard, right? Cause you're not even hitting the stupid thing. Then you've got to go through this period of bad contact. Then you need to change it to good and then hopefully go to great, right? I mean, this Mm -hmm. is something I want to see for a guy. We'll talk later with Spencer Torkelson. At least he made contact, right? It was bad contact, but you can go from bad to good, right? Mm -hmm. It's really hard to go from none to good, right? That's the big jump. Vinny P will always make contact. That means even when he's bad, he's got a chance to even be lucky, Right. Yeah. He's got, he, he's making contact. You're not fooling him. You're you're getting away with stuff against him. He can do better. I mean, we're talking the difference between good contact and okay contact on the bat when you just look at it visually is what, like a centimeter, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that really can be the difference between a line drive to the shortstop and a gapper, right? I mean, we're talking a centimeter or two for a round bat hitting a round ball. It, it, it's a change I think he can make. It's one I think you will make, and I think that's this is really this tier that we're going to talk about. They're all kind of picked close together. This is where I'm going to be targeting first base in most Mm -hmm. of the drafts I'm in if I didn't grab Freddie Freeman or Alonzo early.
1: Yeah, so let's talk about this tier. You got uh, Nathaniel Lowe, uh, Rangers first baseman, career season, uh, had his full breakout. If you look at 2021, played 157 games, 18 homers, 72 RBI, Uh, added some power last season, elevated the ball a little bit more and hit 27 home runs in 157 games. Still not that many RBI, 76, but uh, elevated that batting average as well. Uh, 302 batting average and second straight season where he's had an OBP of over 350. So uh, he's only going to be 27 this year. So uh, also had a little slight decrease in his K rate. Power's always been there. ISO of uh, a one ninety plus throughout his career. So um, is he one of the guys, or maybe maybe somebody else out of this tier that you think could jump, make the jump, and maybe uh, perform, you know, outside of this tier and you know closer to what a, an Olson could give you, or you know a, a Goldschmidt.
2: So glad you asked because I actually ranked Nate Low the highest of this tier. I have him slightly above Vinny P. This is another guy who I think it it can be hard to remember sometimes that he was so bad to start the season. He had some contact, that, which was fine in the first month, but at the end of May, he had just three home runs and 16 RBI to his name. Mm. Right? Uh, he hit he had 16 RBI and seven home runs in June. Right? He actually he had more than three home runs in every subsequent month: seven in June, five in July, seven th- seven in August, five in September right he kept moving up that batting order he you know kept making great contact his worst batting average month after may was 267 in july otherwise it was 307 389 306 like, i mean he he just was so much better in the second half i don't want to wait i don't want to lean like too far into the second half stuff but in those 72 games he hits 15 home runs compared to 12 in the first half he has 38 RBI. Uh he only has one stolen base. I'm not really expecting stolen bases going forward. He did that a little bit early in his career. Uh he struck out, you know, less. He hit plenty of doubles. I mean, he did everything you wanted him to do in the second half, right? 339 batting average, 399 OBP and a 566 slug in the second half. That was good for a 176 WRC plus a 964 OPS. I know I just shouted a lot of numbers at you, but all you really need to know is he was so, so good in the second half. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I I think he can continue to do that. I think he's been making these adjustments. Do I think he'll finish a season with a 300 batting average again? Maybe not. Right. But he's a career 278 hitter, right? Right. This is a plus batting average. I think no matter what happens, Mm Mm-hmm. I think, you know, we saw worse batting average than that early in his career, but he continues to show that he can make contact. And he, you know, the other thing he did that I like was, so in 2021, we saw him for a full season. We only saw 18 home runs. And part of that was that he took a lot of pitches, right? He, and he walked plenty. He walked 12.5% of the time. But with a guy like him with that kind of hit tool, right? I want to see him going after the ball. Right? I want to see him making contact. The, one of the biggest differences you see between those two seasons, uh, yeah, yeah, it's more power, it's more home runs and all that. But really, it's that change from walk to hit, mm-hmm. right? That's why the slugging goes up by almost 80 points, right? Because when he hits the ball, he can hit doubles, right? A walk yeah. is never a double. You will never get past first base. And it's not like he's super duper fast, Is going to steal a bunch of bases for you. You don't need him getting on base and getting a steal, right? What you want him to do is hitting doubles. Right. And, and that's what he did. It was actually only two more doubles than the year before, but it was just that aggressive nature. He's not like some were like, so he kept as many doubles and then added home runs. Right. He also had more singles, and that's one of the biggest changes. Right. But who needs those stupid walks? Hit the right. ball, man.
1: And that's what he did. <laughs> right. Like you said, if you make contact with the ball, you never know what could happen.
2: It, it's never, you know, it, and it's not like he's, he, Hits into some uh, double plays, but again, he's a guy that you want swinging the bat. Mm -hmm. Because again, I mean, that's just, I want those, I want those extra at bats. I want those extra balls in play because they just turn into other things. Now, again, the runs in RBI didn't quite get to where we wanted, but Mm -hmm. I think he can do that. And again, if he then decides I can also, you know, I can walk less without striking out more. And now I think I'm going to walk a little more and keep my power. That's sort of the next step for him. Mm -hmm. Where he maybe walks a little more and keeps that power. But even if he doesn't, right, I'll take this result all day long.
1: And Nathaniel Lowe, like I said, mentioned, the launch angle went up from five to eight. You know, looks like a small thing, but getting a little bit more lift, more, you know, you're a power guy, you're going to hit more home runs and hit nine more home runs in the same amount of games from 21 to 22. So, yeah. And
2: again, I mean, he's one of these players we, he doesn't hit a ton of ground balls, mm-hmm. but he does. You know, he does hit some, right? Obviously, he improved. He improved that. Uh, he improved that ground ball rate. You saw from the exit velocity, uh, but it was still a bit high, <clears throat> right? Uh, at times, it's close to fifty percent, mm-hmm. and he does pull the ball a fair bit. Not as much as some, so we might see a slight batting. You know, anything that he loses in batting average due to sort of a luck correction, I think he gets some of that back from the lack of shift i mean i still think there's gonna be some kind of shift i think he gets whatever changes from luck i think he gets back maybe from some of that and just better contact
1: all right let's talk about cj crone for a minute uh first baseman for the rockies um i remember last season you know you were a little apprehensive based on where he was going in drafts, and you could correct me if I'm wrong. um so he wasn't a guy that you were really targeting, but had another nice season you know twenty nine homers, one hundred two rbi two fifty seven batting average. What are you thinking about Crone uh, this season? He's going eighth among first baseman in nFBC drafts, and that
2: feels a lot better mm-hmm. um, he he was valued very high going into to drafts last year. And I think he's a back end first baseman because even though those numbers are nice, that change in batting average is really a big deal. Uh, I mean, he lost about 40 points in batting average to take him from a plus to a neutral, right? He finishes as the ninth best first baseman last season. Uh, And you can't really expect a whole lot better in terms of counting stats for him on a very, very bad Rockies team, Mm -hmm. right? I'm surprised they scored 102 runs for him to drive in 102 runners. I didn't realize. Right? We also saw some real erosion of the plate discipline. Only walked six point eight percent of the time. Uh, that was definitely lower than what we saw in the previous year. He struck out more. I'd hate to see those trend. Uh, I, I'd hate to see that trending in the in the same direction. But like he had a one hundred one WRC plus last year, down from one twenty six. Even though the home run numbers are the same, the all of that change comes from those. You know that drop in batting average. Right? Mm-hmm. It's about twenty five ish points. Yeah. Uh, down, you know, two eighty-one to two fifty-seven. He had, I mean, he had times where he was really difficult to even roster because of these cold spells, especially when he's on the road, right? Because of that Rockies thing. I mean, on the road, seven home runs and two and a two fourteen batting average in seventy-seven games. Mm. That ain't going to cut it. Now, again, that's not because he's a bad player, right? That's because go, being on the road for the Rockies is really hard because you have to make that adjustment to how balls just move differently when they're being pitched to you, that's really difficult. But this guy had some really rough months. Uh, he had times where he just was, I mean, on long road trips, I, I had to recommend to bench him a lot of the time mm-hmm. because it just, the production just wasn't there. He's amazing at home. And he's like many other Rockies have dealt with. He's terrible on the road. And that's a hard player to roster mm-hmm. uh, because you don't make, I mean, in the second half, you know, his, his WRC plus in the second half, 51. Wow right? One, one ninety seven batting average for a Rocky mm-hmm. half. Those games are still at home, right? That's a really hard player for me to roster. I'm not, I'm not avoiding him anymore because the, the draft, you know, the, the ADP has it, it's after pick a hundred and NFBC, uh, you know, he's, he's fine, right? He might even be your third corner infielder by this point. Cause you might've already picked up uh, a first baseman and a third baseman potentially. If you got an early one, I'm fine with it, but, I don't want folks to think that this is some sleeper, mm-hmm. right? This is not. This is not the league-winning pick you're looking for. If that's the impact you're trying to make, right? That's I think a, C.J. Crone is a power source who is incredibly inconsistent with the rest of the stuff.
1: That's a great point what you said earlier about his home and road splits. That he might end up being somewhat of a, of a streaming option for you. I mean, you know, like you said, you might have another first baseman or another uh, corner infield. Uh, player on your uh, roster. Uh but that that batting average, yeah, I mean you you brought up some really compelling information in terms of his uh, second-hand uh, second half dive, but that 281 batting average that he had in 2021 just looks like a, an outlier to me when you look at the rest of his uh career. You know, he never really was a a guy that would kill you with batting average. Yeah, you figure him for, you know, 250 to 260. I think that 281 was just, you know, something that we probably won't see again. but That uh, was supposed to be the Colorado effect. Colorado yeah. gives you some
2: extra power, but it's a huge outfield. What it really does is gives you more batting average from all these doubles and singles that you hit because that ball was juicy, and you get a lot of leeway if you don't quite hit home run because, again, that outfield is enormous. Mm-hmm. Right, It's one of the biggest outfields in the majors, so that's supposed to give you that lift, and he lost it. And you know the second half was so rough I know as I was working on the hitter list and I was trying to give you know advice I would have to tell people like you can't start these Rockies on long road trips anymore especially in the second half the whole team was terrible. Mm-hmm. I think there's I think there's a good enough floor there being you know towards the back end of the top 10 first baseman to make him someone that you can you know not necessarily target but be okay with but the the floor is not what we thought it was. This right. is this isn't a terrible floor. But uh, it's also the, the trend is not what you want to see.
1: Right. Right. Um, Next first baseman coming off the board in NFBC uh, drafts so far. The season is Reese Hoskins. He's the ninth first baseman coming off. Uh, 30 home runs, 79 RBI last season. Uh, The batting average was just about what you expect. Never really hit for a high average. Batted 246 last year. But, has consistently been a good OBP guy. Had a three thirty-two OBP uh, last season, and uh, Steamer uh, projects him for another thirty home runs. Uh, basically, what you see is what you get, in my opinion. Uh, as long as he's healthy, he's uh, you know uh, likely to hit you know high twenties, low thirty home runs totals.
2: It was nice to see him get a full season back under his belt. He missed yeah. about 20 games in 2020. He missed about 60 games or 50 games in 2021. So we get the full season. Um, you probably hoped for maybe a little more power, but 30 home runs is about right. The The counting stats are, are limited, but fine, right? I mean, they're good. 80-81 runs scored, 79 RBI last season. He is very much a what you see is what you get. I think Steamer's a little low on the batting average. Uh in 4 of the last 5 seasons, he's hit 240 he's hit between 245 and 247. Mm-hmm. Uh and the only you know one is off, it's 2019 he only hit 226, but uh the OBP is also always very strong. Um he's he's a decent player. Again, what you see is what you get. I think what I like about him is I think the floor the floor and the ceiling are really tight he's a very projectable player uh you know behind c j Crone is fine. I think that some folks may prefer a player like Reese Hoskins, who isn't quite so up and down uh who isn't surging some weeks in a boat anchor. the others whereas Hoskins is a bit more consistent uh he doesn't have those kinds of splits, but uh you know he's neither exciting nor sad right He is right. a back end first baseman, and that's great
1: right. What about this next guy, Jose Obreyu? Former White Sox, who's a free agent um, and showed a big-time drop in power production, basically uh, was almost like a lock for 30 home runs and 100 RBI as long as he was healthy. Last season, 15 home runs and 75 RBI. Uh, batting average was basically where it's been for a bunch of his career. He batted 304, maybe a little higher than usual. But uh, what are you thinking about Abreu in terms of – His drop in power. Do you think that that's something that we will see again? I mean, uh, Steamer only uh, projects for 21 home runs this season.
2: Yeah. So the first thing is that it's not that weird to see a player at 35 years old get a little bit of a nosedive in power.
1: That's like half, though. This is just not that was big,
2: right? He had 19 home runs in 2020 when he only played 60 games, right? right? And then 30. Yeah, 90 something fewer games. Mm -hmm. and fewer home runs, Mm -hmm. right? Not, not great. Uh, It was nice to see the batting average stay up. He still finished just inside the top 10 of first baseman last season. So on one hand, you could say, Hey, if that's the floor, I'm fine with it. Right. He had great plate discipline. Uh, He just didn't hit the home runs quite like we hoped. Uh, It's hard to imagine uh, a scenario, you know, his, his situation in Chicago was good, right? It's a fairly home run friendly park it was a good lineup around him near the top. Even if they were often injured, he still got to hit ahead of like Eloy Jimenez. He had Lewis Robert in front of him for a time. He had Tim Anderson ahead of him for a time. He had Elvis Andrews out of nowhere, hitting like he's not Elvis Andrews for a time. <laughs> uh, it was it was interesting. So, I mean, team context for him does matter slightly, mm-hmm. right? We, we do want him to end up somewhere that's an offensive friendly environment again this is not a player that i think non-contenders are going to be going after right uh and you can also talk about you know the expected stats do think that he went 40 points low on his slugging right they right. think there should have been a little more power there he lost some launch angle but that was about it uh he had maybe fewer fly balls but i mean it was really actually in line with what we had seen in years before yeah uh, we didn't see the top end power
1: Right, right. Yeah, it just okay. wasn't there. Yeah, it exit line power rate, hard hit percentage, all within Korean norms. So it's kind of yeah,
2: like uh, odd. I mean, you can blame maybe some of it on the doubles numbers. Uh, he had ten more doubles than uh, than last season, but he also had a lot more singles. Right, he actually had had a career high in singles, uh, simply because the amount of con- like the contact he was making just wasn't the same quality. Mm -hmm. Right. Especially when it comes to home runs, he was not driving those fly balls like he had before. Again, it didn't stop him from doing some good things, but there's a reason that like that big drop off in RBI. I mean, part of that comes from losing 15 home runs, Mm -hmm. right? It's going to be hard for me to really disagree with steamer all that much and project more than about 20 home runs. That still puts him as a top 10 first baseman, no doubt. And there is actually, it's weird to think about, but there is actually a, sort of almost sleeperness if you believe in Jose Abreu more than that. You think that power is going to come back? You think he's going to turn a lot of that normal contact back into good contact? We've talked about that transition already. I think that's something he could do, right? Mm -hmm. And the price is right. You know, uh, number 10, first baseman off the board, that's about what he finished last year. It's hard to imagine him finishing a whole lot lower than that unless he loses the contact and and keeps the bad power. You need a couple things to go wrong there. So I, I like it. Again, not exciting right? It's not something that I'm super into. And I actually do rank him a bit higher than this. I rank him right behind Nate Lowe and Vinny Pasquantino as hitter number 52. I think wow. that there's, yeah. I, I th- And I think that there's, you know, that's, a, that's maybe a little high, but it's not too bad. It's certainly somewhere he could end up. But again, it's hard to see too much ceiling either. That power was just gone.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And in, in past years, I was always thrilled to pick him up in drafts just based on where he went you know based on his ADP this year I'm a little a little more hesitant but uh, next guy I'm really interested to hear what you have to say about uh the 11th first baseman coming off the board in NFBC drafts Christian Walker first baseman for the Diamondbacks now uh talk about you know first half second half this guy really finished the season strong in his last 49 games Batted 307 with an 893 OPS, 10 homers, 31 RBI in those last 49 games. Um, showed more discipline at the plate than at any time in his career. Uh, had a 10.3 walk rate, 19.6 K rate, 36 home runs, 242 batting average, which, you know, you don't love it, obviously, but he had that big finish. Um, I, I don't know. I guess, is he. Maybe a Reese Hos- Hoskin that you could get like a little later
2: <laughs> so we talked about him a bit uh, this last season, if you'll recall, yeah, I I talked yeah. about his batting average has a has a fairly hard ceiling on it over longer periods of time. Mm-hmm. but obviously, again, in the second half, he did hit two eighty five and and it was real mm-hmm. right? Uh, there's a couple reasons he did that. Number one, he actually stopped walking so much. Uh, he only walked 6.4% of the time in the second half, about half of what he'd been walking in the first half, uh, just making more contact, trying to have some good things happen. So so that was kind of interesting to see. Uh, we also see you know, a little bit of a change in his fly ball rates in the second half. In the first half, it was 46% fly ball, almost 47% fly ball rate. It is hard uh, to have a good batting average with that many fly balls because unless they leave the park, they land in gloves. Right. What he ends up doing in the second half is better. Right. He has a forty one percent fly ball rate and a twenty point six percent line drive rate. Basically, he turns go. a lot of these fly balls mm-hmm. into line drives. Line drives are a hard like they're they're not so sticky from year to year, but they are kind of sticky within season. That was a change he was able to make where he just made sort of better contact on a lot of these pitches. So that would really drive his batting average. I think that if that's something he continues to do, it'd be interesting to see. I think it does pull down the power just a little bit. Uh, Not the slugging as much as the power because it gives him more doubles instead of outs, but it also takes away some home runs. Again, not a ton. It's not as though the power disappeared, right? He didn't have another nine home run month like he had in May, but he had very good months. Seven home runs in August, six home runs in September. Basically four plus is a pretty darn good month because that's about one a week. Mm -hmm. Uh, We saw him strike out a lot more in September, right? That was a little weird. He struck out 33 times in September. He had not struck out more than 22 times in any other month. Some of it is just because he had more plate appearances because of the way their schedule worked out. uh, And he just took less time off then. But, you know, it it wasn't like it was a bad strikeout, right? It was 23.9 with the Mm -hmm. fewest walks yet. but it still led to a 271 batting average. I think if anything with Christian Walker is number one, there's a path to better batting average and it takes away some home run pop, right? It it just has to, you can't hit that many fly balls, which drives home run rates and um, like expect to have a high batting average. You can't hit that many fly balls and have a good batting average. It just doesn't work that way. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because again, if they don't leave the park, they're outs fly balls are almost always outs unless they leave the park. But uh, the, the one thing I really don't want people to think about is the shift, right? He He's a guy who had some weird numbers against the shift. He actually hit 291 when there was no shift, right? And 233 when there was a shift. And you might think, oh, these shift rules will change something. First of all, he's a righty. Shifts are weird against right-handed batters, right? Uh, you don't actually need to overload a side on a right-handed batter. You just kind of need to reposition your... You know, basically your your shortstop and your third baseman to make those plays because they tend to be rangier than your first base and second base. And that first baseman isn't stuck on the bag, right? Neither the shortstop nor the third baseman are usually stuck on a bag during that shift. So you can move them around a little bit, make better plays. I don't want people to think that the shift rule changes anything for Christian Walker. It's going to be a matter of, does he try to hit more line drives or does he try to hit more home runs? One Mm -hmm. gives you more batting average. One gives you more home run pop. I think both of them equal out to something like a two fit. I think at best, he's that... 260-ish hitter. We saw 2019-2020. Otherwise, he's that 240-ish hitter. We saw 2021-2022. Just depends on how he wants to try to hit the ball. right? right? Uh, Again, and the 36 home runs, that's really cool. I think that will remain a career high. I think 30 is as high as I would project.
1: All right. So, uh, as we get to the back end of the top 15 first baseman, we've got Ryan Mountcastle, first baseman for the Orioles, 12th. Uh, 13th, Andrew Vaughn, who I'm wondering if uh, the White Sox don't sign uh, Jose Abreu. He takes over at first base. He's also outfield eligible. You got Ty France at 14th and Jose Miranda, who we spoke about last week uh, at 15th. Any of these guys um, stand out to you? I mean, I'm, I'm a little interested maybe in Andrew Vaughn. Um, you know, showed a little bit uh, of a decline in his K rate. Um, you know, I don't know if he has thirty homer potential. He has some power, but uh, then you had Mountcastle, who uh, saw a big drop in in home run and slug, and you wonder if that was due to the change in dimensions uh, in that left field wall in Camden Yards. But any of these guys in the back end of the top fifteen, uh, you know, strike out at you, or you know, who do you like yeah. out of here?
2: You know, I hated seeing Ryan Mountcastle fall off so hard mm-hmm. at the end of the year. In the second half, he had just seven doubles compared right. to 21 in the first half, had just eight home runs compared to 14. That's a hard player to roster, man. Like mm. you, you need a lot of things to go right for Ryan Mountcastle. The dimensions may play some role. And I think some of it is just that it's it, second year, second year for a lot of players is rough right? It's hard to imagine being that much more interested in Ryan. I mean, there's a big, I mean, there's a lot of guys that are sort of in this tier, all going within about 20 to 30 picks of each other, right? The difference between the number 12 first baseman, the number 27 first baseman is about 21 picks, right? In an NFBC draft, that's like a round and a half, Mm -hmm. right? like (laughs) These guys are going really tight together. I'm surprised to see Ryan Mountcastle at the top of this group, right? Uh, He wouldn't be at the top of it for me, um, but I guess I get it. You expect some of that power coming back. I'm not sure I do. Although, you know, the team context will be a little better. I'm struggling with that. Andrew Vaughn, man, maybe Tony like getting Tony La Russa out of there might be the best darn thing that could happen to Andrew Vaughn. They really been jerking him around bat him seventh for no reason, move him all over the order, give him off days for like Lurie Garcia or something. <laughs> it was bizarre. I think Andrew Vaughn is, he's never going to be a big power guy. I don't think he ever hits 30 home runs, but he could hit 20 to 25 and be a really good batting average type player. I think that's, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if at the end of the season, if Vinny P and Andrew Vaughn had similar power and RBI numbers, Interesting. right? I'm not okay. saying they will, otherwise I'd yeah. rank them closer together than I do, but I think mm-hmm. that's a very realistic outcome right? Mm -hmm. Vaughn's on the better team. He's got a bit more experience. He doesn't have to worry about again, that second year being a transition year. Uh, he's got similar power. Uh, he's got a great hit tool that, I mean, at one time, uh, there were folks that I think are quite smart ranking him as a top 10 possible first baseman. And this was like two or three years ago, right? Right. When he first came up. So I, I think there's a lot of upside here. I like that he's first base and outfield eligible in those leagues that require like five outfielders. That's very helpful. Uh, Because you can really use him for both. Whereas in a Yahoo league, maybe it's a little less valuable with only those three outfielders. I do like Andrew Vaughn there. Um, I think the next one that surprises me a little bit is just, uh, is Ty France. Ty France is a guy who, I mean, the the margin of error for him is so tight, right? Because he doesn't walk a lot. He doesn't have 25 home run power. He, He doesn't have a lot of things. He needs to make a lot of contact and it needs to land. Right, we saw big drop-offs for him in the second half. Uh, That was unfortunate, and it made him really, really difficult to roster. Mm -hmm. Right, and you know, another thing uh, is just you know, he comes on again at the end of the second half, but the power still wasn't quite the same. So it's hard for me to sit here and say like, oh yeah, I definitely you know he's he's always a guy that people are really interested in uh, because he's got that great batting average, and he's he's probably the elite accumulator. Right, him and CJ Crone are two guys that are accumulators. Although Crone is also a power asset, uh, Ty France isn't. Right, he played 140 games. He still only got 20 home runs. I'm stunned, stunned that Steamer projects him for 23. Hmm. Right, more home runs than he's ever hit in a full season. Right, um, but the batting average is going to be awesome. I think that he's going to be a player that will be will either be on your draft board or not by this stage in the draft, around pick 150 to 170. Based on the team con- team construction you've already got, if you've already got a lot of power, Ty France is going to move up your board for that really safe batting average, and he should have decent counting stats in the middle of a Mariners lineup that continues to get better. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, I-, I think that if you are in if you're in a position where you need power, you don't have it. Uh, Ty France almost comes off your board, right? Because if you need power, this is not where it is, and you're running out of time in this draft to go get it at that point you're probably waiting a bit and you're looking at like a rowdy to right. Right. Uh, or a, a Joey Manessis who, you know, steamer just loves. Right. Right. Or you're waiting, you know, wh- around that point in the draft, you might be rating on a Tristan Cassis, right. A, a solid, you know, 50, 60 picks later. Right. So he's going to be a guy that's very interesting because I think he'll fall in some graphs. Also a big deal is he's losing a lot of that position eligibility in many leagues. He'll be first base only in Yahoo. He might retain third base because he started there six times. And Yahoo has this weird rule of 10 appearances or five starts. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is a little harder to keep track of. But I believe Ty France had six starts at third base. That means he could be third base eligible in Yahoo. That adds a little bit because that position's a little weak. But it's hard to be a whole lot more excited for him than, say, the guy that goes right after him in Jose Miranda, who we talked about a lot. I know you were on him quite early, mm-hmm. Jose Miranda for the for the Twins. Um, We know Rizzo's going back to New York. He's going around – I mean, he's going no, two no. picks
1: later. We don't know if he's going back to New York. Oh, I mean
2: – Sorry. The assumption – from uh, a lot of news outlets, is that he is likely to return to the Yankees, and that's a great place for his power. Absolutely, uh, he, he's an excellent first baseman there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, if you wait even longer, again, you're looking at Rowdy Tellez, who's certainly a 25 to 30 home run guy that might fit your team. Steamer has a,
1: a Steamer projects Tellez for 31 home runs, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean that, he does have great power. Yeah, I, I yeah. have I have
2: dragged him a bit as a very average first baseman mm-hmm. uh, in fantasy leagues. People get much more excited about him than he is. He's a streaky player. But again, if he if he's getting everyday at bats, I mean again, he's not going to play first base all that much anymore because of Guerrero Jr. and it's part of the reason to go back to Alejandro Kirk. I'm a little I'm kind of wondering a bit how this works out because they have one they have one first base guy they can use, they have one DH spot and one catcher. And they need to share that between I mean Danny Jansen deserves hits. Gabriel Marino might force himself into a lineup more. You've already got Vlad Guerrero eating up one of first baser DH, right? Mm-hmm. And you've got Telez who needs to fill like who needs to be first baser DH, right? What like something's got to give. Sure, maybe you bench telez against every lefty to put uh, Alejandro Kirk in somewhere, right? But, you know, and if that happens, you know, that's a huge bummer, but I also don't think it happens cuz they haven't been doing that. Right. I think this team has got some pieces it almost needs to get rid of because of this crowdedness between first base DH and sort of catcher. And that could clear up. But again, Ty France, we're getting to this point in the first base draft where it's going to sort of depend on what your team needs. You know, is Ty France that much better than Jake Cronenworth? Who plays for a Padres team? Who should again be much much better, especially as Tatis comes back in. Cronenworth gets a hit behind those guys. I think he's got better batting average than he showed this last year. Mm -hmm. Brandon Drury, who the heck's going to know what happens with him?
1: Right, up and down. But Josh Bell ends up too. Yeah, Josh Bell, Bell. and they're they're all going tanked when he got traded to the Padres. But before that, you know, he was a a very serviceable uh, first baseman that you get late. And they're all going in this range and
2: Drury and Cronenworth and Miranda, they offer other position eligibility. This isn't Mm -hmm. to drag Ty France again. It's just, he fits a very specific niche in fantasy. And I think some teams are just going to find that he's not on their board anymore by the time we get to this point in the draft, because there's back end first basemen that are interesting. Right. DJ Lemayhew going outside of the top 20 in first base drafts. And you know, what if he gets some of that power back? He's still eligible at first, second, and third. Joey Manessis, Steamer loves him. Loves Joy I kind of like the guy too. I mean, he I don't goes, know he's about going it. as the 25th first baseman in these drafts right now. Mm-hmm. He did nothing but hit as he came up. We didn't see a lot of adjustment periods, which was weird. 13 home runs in 56 games. If you want a frame of reference, he was about as good as Jose Abreu was back mm-hmm. in 2020 when he was the AL MVP. Right. Right. <laughs> in yeah. similar games, right? Hit good 324. Yeah. The steamer projects him for 28 home it. runs. Mm hmm. No, sorry, 29, Mm -hmm. 29 home runs, 91 RBI, right? Like, how do you take Ty France 50 picks before that, right? Again, it's not as proven with Joey Manessis, but like Joey Manessis hit 15 home run or 13 home runs in 56 games, right? As a 30-year-old rookie, Mm -hmm. but he had 33 home runs in about 152 games between AAA and the majors, right? He was fantastic. I mean, he's a great pick at the back end of drafts, right? If he continues, I mean, again, these drafts were done before Steamer projection comes out. Now that Steamer has these projections out, expect Joey Manessis to jump way up. I expect him to start going safely inside the top 200 picks. Right now, his ADP is 220. His min picks 119. I wouldn't be shocked if he ends up closer to around 150 to 160 in this range of Vaughn, France, Miranda, Rizzo, Cronenworth, and that grouping. He's a guy who I think is just going to fly up these boards and there's a reason for it because he showed so much. Mm-hmm. And before projections come out, it's really hard for a lot of us to know how other people will value these players. Again, you can listen to me talk about this a bit more on the uh on the Corner podcast about my mock draft, but the hardest thing early in draft season is knowing how much other people like players. Not you know how much you like a guy, but mm-hmm. you don't know how much everyone else likes a guy. And right now, Joey Manessis has been slipping. He went three oh four in a draft champions league. That's insane to me. That will never happen again, right? Mm-hmm. now with these projections out. There is no way if he was available in any draft champion leagues going on that were after pick like one forty. People saw those steamer projections, which they did, right? Because they're paying so much money to be in a league. You know when these projections come out, the first, they put Joey Manessis back at the top of their board. Just dragged him all the way up, even if they already have first base and outfield.
1: Look, the guy's going to play just about every day. I know that the Nationals had said that they were kind of in the market for, uh, you know, a first baseman. But, uh, you know, look, um, if he doesn't play first base every day, he's going to DH. You know, I don't see the Nationals making a big splash in free agency with uh, the team being on the on the block. You know, they're trying to sell the team. And you look at what this guy did in 10 minor league seasons, batted 281, uh, hit 20 home runs. In 96 A games last season. And then, like you said, hit 13 more when he got called up. That's 33, obviously. And uh, I mean, from where you could pick him up in drafts, you know, uh, I'm definitely going to take a chance.
2: Yeah. And again, I talked about Tristan Cassis a little bit. Yeah. This was a guy in the minors who just had monster, I mean, big power, big hit tool. Uh, he was a top 20 or top 30 ish prospect uh, in fantasy, uh, depending on where you look. Hosmer's not going
1: to be in his way, right? Eric Hosmer? uh, (laughs) Not enough, right? Uh, right. Steamer projecting
2: 130 games, 128. I think that's about right. And they're going to find ways to get this guy in the lineup. I I mean, you know that JD Martinez is probably not coming back. That DH slot should open up a little bit. He can Mm -hmm. play first base. Um, he, you know, they can, they can't really move him around. He's not a great fielder. He's not a great fielder at first base and his, his speed is non-existent, right? Like he stole it. He's stolen one more base in his professional career than I thought he would. He has one, uh, Mm -hmm. but that 20% walk rate and 24% strikeout rate in his first 95 plate appearances. That's not something to sneeze at And while they project 22 home runs. That's a conservative projection. I really think that he can do a lot more than that. I think he could be a 25 to 30 home run guy if he can make just not even many adjustments, just get more used to major league pitching. He only hit 197, but he still had a 358 OBP. I think some of that was pitchers just not giving him stuff in the zone to see what he'd do with it.
1: Yeah, Casas, but, really disciplined hitter. If you look at his OBP throughout his minor league career, 390, 381. It's like, uh, you know, uh, video game numbers, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's.
2: Barely 23 years old. I think this is mm-hmm. this is a heck of a player. I think that he's someone that will be you'll be eyeing in the back of drafts. Not not in not in a Yahoo league where you don't need a corner infield and it's only three outfield and you've got two utility. The draft's not deep enough, so he'll probably end up more on your watch list, but these guys are available. you know, we didn't even talk about Spencer Torkelson, who I think can make a big I think he can make a big improvement. Uh, simply from making better contact, Isak Paredes, who showed a lot of power, eligible first, second, and third. I mean, there's a lot of first basemen towards Matt the end Mervich of this list. Could
1: be the everyday first baseman for the Cubs. He's hitting home runs like crazy in the Arizona Fall League, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. Hey, one other thing about Casas I want to mention: he's playing uh, Dominican League winter ball and. He, started three games but his start was delayed because he had some knee discomfort so just keep that in the back of your mind just watch for it but um i'm excited to see him uh possibly play every day for the red sox
2: yeah i mean there's there's a lot of first basing we didn't talk about i think first base is, is strain you know sort of jared walsh. Strangely deep. what do we do with jared walsh
1: he had uh, nothing the- yet right he had that thoracic outlet syndrome surgery uh so they say he's going to be ready but he really tanked last season but uh you know at least we have a reason at least we yeah, know a reason
2: and i don't think we can end this podcast without at least mentioning that there's going to be a lot of hype around dodgers first base prospect miguel vargas right right steamer came out they projected him for 20 home runs nine stolen base. or i'm sorry 18 home runs eight stolen bases um Fangraph's depth chart sort of cranked that up just a little bit somehow without changing any of his triple slash. But whatever, mm-hmm. uh, I think that you know he's going to be someone. I think a lot of people are targeting is that back end back end guy. This is a, a prospect who hit really well last season in Triple A. Uh, you know, 113 games, 17 home runs, still scored 100 runs, stole 16 bases, hit 304. Uh, he didn't show much in his major league his first 50 played appearances, but. I think that there's a really talented player there even.
1: So good call. Good the call. The back end mm-hmm.
2: back end first base and a lot of that stuff is just going to be really interesting to follow.
1: Yeah, the back end first baseman, your corner infielder, so there's, there's plenty of uh room for these extra first basemen on your on your uh, rosters, but this has been really fun, Scott. Uh, think about all the players we've talked about today. <laughs> So, uh, and all the ones we
2: didn't, right? We still didn't say a word yeah. about Seth Brown, Josh Naylor, other guys. That I think right. people are going to find interesting. And we don't have time. We just don't have time.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's what happens when we're doing a podcast every two weeks, right? But uh, it's been real fun, Scott. And uh you curling today? Oh, you bet. I got to go yeah. uh, start getting set up for the rookie league
2: we got on Sundays, getting ready. Uh, might throw a couple rocks. Might just help people not fall on their face while they throw rocks. I think both are equally valuable. You're, so, a good, uh, man. You're a good man.
1: You're good man we'll see how it goes <laughs> all right so that slams the lid on things for today we'll be back in two weeks so uh you can follow me at joe glena follow that guy scott chew at if the chew fits and uh we'll see you in a couple weeks uh, hey subscribe to our podcasts wherever you get your podcasts downloaded to you and leave us a nice review whenever you can and uh as always we hope that all of your fantasies become realities and we'll see you next time.